0: Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Megan Wright. The
1: Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform.
0: In this episode of Grain Talk, I will speak with Barry Sepp, CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. He will be stepping down from this role as of April 1st. And so, as we continue our 10th anniversary celebrations of the formation of our organization, it's a good time to get his take on the past decade and what he believes is in the future for Ontario grain farmers.
1: We will also get an update from Marcus Hurl, the Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. First, a Grain Talk news update. Carbon tax exemptions that would benefit farmers are now under consideration by the federal government. Philip Lawrence, MP for Northumberland, Peterborough, South, and Senator Diane Griffin from PEI have both tabled bills that would see the elimination of the carbon tax on fuel used for grain drying. These bills will need the support of members of Parliament to pass through the legislative process. Grain Farmers of Ontario is encouraging all farmer members to help spread the word about the impact the carbon tax is having on your farm and the benefit they would see if exemptions are put in place. When speaking to your local MP or on social media, raise these two bills and the importance of eliminating the carbon
0: tax on grain drying. Grain Farmers of Ontario hosted an Ontario Grains Researcher Forum last week that was focused on identifying the opportunities in current agricultural research. This session included discussions on identifying gaps in our key research priorities, how to share research outcomes and build synergies, and what solutions or resources could be used to address research gaps. More than 70 researchers participated in the forum, and we thank them for their feedback and excellent discussion on improving research to benefit our farmer members. Congratulations to Dave Major from Thorndale,
1: the second early bird winner in our March Classic registration draw. Dave will receive a Grain Farmers of Ontario prize pack. If you haven't registered yet, you still have time. Registration closes at 4 p.m. on Friday, March 13th. This year's March Classic will be held on Tuesday, March 24th in London, Ontario at RBC Place. That's where we've had it for the
0: past 10 years, just with a new name. It was formerly called the London Convention Centre.
1: The conference will feature a recording of the U.S. Farm Report with host Tyne Morgan, as well as Jim Hanman, Joanne MacArthur, and Rona Ambrose. The evening banquet that follows the speaker session will celebrate Grain Farmers of Ontario's 10th anniversary. And now,
0: it's time for some Grain Talk with Barry (laughs) Semple. you okay. Barry Senth is the CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario, and he joined us on the podcast to talk about the past 10 years and his leadership of our organization during that time. Thanks for joining us, Barry.
2: Thank you, Rachel.
0: Let's start our conversation with you today um, with the announcement that was made last September at the Annual General Meeting. And during that time, you announced that you were stepping down as CEO. As we just start to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, though, why did you make the decision to step down now?
2: Well I think it was uh you know whenever you celebrate a milestone I think it uh, it's an opportunity to uh reflect on the uh, on the past it was in this case 10 years and then uh think about what uh what might be uh one facing in the future and uh as we approach the 10 year anniversary I started to do exactly that it's uh, Uh, reflect about all the good things that have happened since the formation of of GFO. And uh, I had to decide whether I was, you know, ready to take on the next period of time or whether it was uh, just a prime opportunity to uh, change up the the leadership, and I chose the latter. I think it's, uh, I think people, individuals bring, you know, whether it's organizations or what have you up to a certain level and in my you know from my perspective it's good for the change up uh you know this is the longest job i've had in my uh in my career, and uh you know the original contract was five years, and I was more than willing to uh, fulfill that and uh you know and it takes you a couple of years to get your legs beneath you as it did for g f o and we were having some fun along with some challenges, and I decided to, uh, you know, lengthen that uh, that commitment. Um, and the board was uh, willing to keep me on, and uh, and so it ended up um, almost eleven years by the time that I because I came, I actually came before the actual uh, formation, the official formation of GFO because we had a couple of false starts back in the fall of 2009. And then it was decided to start January the 1st of 2010. So I was ready ready to go, but uh, again with some false starts.
0: I've heard you say many times you like to refer to yourself as the first employee of Grain Farmers of Ontario, because even though some of the staff from the legacy organization stayed on, you were really that first person that was hired under the new organization.
2: Well, the official, you know, there was, there was employees that had been working for, uh, for the three organizations in anticipation of, uh, of a hopeful merger, but uh, I came in, in uh, I think it was the second or third week in July. Uh, July of uh, of '09, and uh, and so I think I was the first one to get the official email address, and at that time it was grainfarmersofontario.ca. And I said, "Surely to goodness, we could uh, shorten that domain." So, but uh,
0: you don't like us to say GFO <laughs> when we're out in public and we're speaking in our magazine. That's sort of a rule uh, that we don't say GFO. We'd like to say Grain Farmers of Ontario.
2: Don't look for consistency in everything <laughs> that I say. I try, but it's not always that way. It's it's what's up for the for the environment.
0: Now, why did you apply for the job of CEO? Because you were in Winnipeg, you had a great job, and I know some people even were like, are you crazy, why are you going to Ontario?
2: Well, we started, when I joined SIGI in 2002, SIGI was uh, a very uh, um, Western-dominated organization and uh, with the big emphasis towards the Canadian Wheat Board, which was in existence at the time. Uh, SIGI receives a significant significant portion of the budget from the uh, AAFC, the Canadian government, and when I came on as their executive director in 2002, uh, the Government of Canada's representative on the board, there was a directive to the new ED that they wanted the organization to be more than Western Canada, and they wanted it to be more, uh, more clients in the Canadian Wheat Board. So that's what I took on. I started coming out to Ontario uh and started doing some work with the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board with the Ontario uh soybean growers. And at that time that's when the discussion of the merger was uh was uh, being discussed in earnest and um, and so I watched that process uh go through its uh discussion over two or three years. And when they advertised for the job, I thought, well, I'm going to throw my name in, and uh, I'd be disappointed that I didn't, if I didn't get at least an interview, and uh, as they say, the rest is history. But I had started to work with uh, with those two organizations. I'd been in the grain industry at that time for a good period of time, so, you know, I thought this would be uh, a, a new challenge, was coming out east, and uh, Getting to know and to work with uh, with the uh, grain industry out here in the uh, in the east.
0: What would you say when you first came out here was the biggest challenge in merging the three legacy organizations into one new organization?
2: Well, I think you know there was a uh, a vote that took place uh, conducted by Farm Products uh, Marketing <laughs> Commission to uh, whether the merger should take place, and there was those, and uh, not surprising, in uh, uh, such a dramatic. Um, um, proposal is that there was some people that opposed the um, the the merger, and I think you know one of the first things on my agenda was to uh, was to not not prove that they were wrong, but just um, you know just show by actions that uh, the organization could look after three commodities quite nicely, and in fact add emphasis to uh, the, the rep- representation of those three uh, three commodities. So that was that was my, my you know biggest emphasis. And then along with getting the uh, the staff complement together uh, to um, to serve those farmer members. It can it, be a
0: bit of an adjustment when you're coming from individual organizations to work oh, together as a new team.
2: Absolutely, and uh, one of the you know admirable promises of the transition team at the time was to promise uh, uh all existing employees that they had a had a job in the new organization and as you point out Rachel that's not without uh, without challenge uh some employees and you know uh adapted very quickly to that environment um others adapted to that uh, new environment after a period of time with some new training uh etc and some just it was a what's the old saying square peg and a round hole type of deal and um uh, and and some of those people that that couldn't adapt in the new environment uh mo- moved on and
0: because uh, sometimes it's just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean you need to continue doing it that way
2: yeah and, and most people are you know uh, hesitant to change. And uh, especially in a job when you got a mortgage, you got kids in school, um, you know, uh, that's a big issue is your job. And people get comfortable in that, uh, the old way of doing things. And this was really, uh, this was, there was no, there was no uh, role in a legacy organization that stayed the same uh, going into Grain Farmers of Ontario. So uh, uh, it was a dramatic change for, for some of, some people. Some adapted quickly, others didn't.
0: 2015, barley and oat farmers decided that they wanted to join the organization as well and have representation from Grain Farmers of Ontario. In your view, why do you think that was?
2: Well, they didn't have the representation. They were small, uh, small acres, uh, uh, small industry within uh, within Ontario, And I think they watched from the sidelines for a while seeing how things, uh, how one organization could serve more than one commodity. And I think, uh, as you say, they wanted in. And uh, we went through a significant process uh, uh, with with the barley and oat growers for those commodities to join in, uh, into GFO. And again, we haven't looked back on that. You know, we were, there was a resolution, I think, in 2010 by delegates is that we'd be hospitable or we'd be inviting to other commodities uh, if they wanted to join in. You know, from my perspective, that was those commodities decisions to do that. It was never that, uh, from my own perspective, that we were on what I describe as a commodity hunt. Uh, and it was barley and and oats as you describe that approached uh, GFO to be one of the uh one of the family and uh you know over i think it's likely almost almost a two year period that in fact happened and i think uh, barley and oats like you know, the, the issue is is that and and the, the guys that you know started thinking about GFO and the merger understood this is that you know the vast majority of issues that we face are faced by all the commodities. And uh, you know whether it's uh, overall research, money directed to commodities or to the grain industry, whether it's market development, uh, government relations, communications, 80% of that, of those of the emphasis of the organization are cross commodity. And so why not make it more efficient, more resources, to take on that 80% from one organization. And the other 20% where it does get into the individual commodities, we we have the expertise within the organization without question to be dealing with those uh, individual commodity issues. So so I think it's, um, you know, they've seen that things work well and they got a lot, uh, barley and oats got a lot of... uh, I think are getting a lot of bang for their dollar that they're contributing to GFO because some of their their issues are just naturally covered by the organization anyway.
0: And obviously we're doing something right because now some of the Western groups are also looking at merging and following a similar model to what we have in place here in Ontario.
2: Yes, Manitoba last week uh, had a vote uh, by their uh, farmers and decided that I, I believe it's five commodities are are moving together or on their path towards uh, uh, that of a merger and so uh, so yes, others are seeing that it can uh, it can actually work and work very well.
0: Now you mentioned our ability to tackle issues uh, cohesively um, and as have more clout as an organization and you know, when we talked about um, your final CEO update for the magazine that's going to be coming out in April, um, one of the first big issues that you mentioned that we tackled was the deferred payments issue. Can you take us back to that time and, and why you saw that as sort of the first win for us?
2: Well, it was November of uh, 2010, and I got a call from a I think it was on a Thursday or Friday afternoon, saying on Monday they wanted to come over to the office and talk about deferred grain payments. And of course, we're We're under a different, um, we have our own Grain Act uh, within Ontario to function within. And so, to my surprise, uh, the representatives from uh, um, OMAFRA came over and suggested that they had looked at the Grain Act and that uh, deferred grain payments uh, as farmers were using as a tool, as a taxation tool, uh, was not legal under the current uh, Grain Act, and that they wanted to uh, uh, cease to use or uh, allow farmers to use that uh, within the next two weeks. So this would be coming up to the uh, this would be coming up to uh, the end of November, and while f- farmers, a lot of farmers have different uh, fiscal years, a lot still are on the calendar year, and I knew from for our farm out west who have um, used deferred payments since I was, sold my first load of grain, is that that was a big issue for farmers. And, uh, and I knew right then that if this was to be uh, forced on our farm out west, this would be, there'd be a significant cost to our farm as far as additional taxes. Nothing again that, that would be out of the ordinary, it's just a tool, a taxation tool would be pulled out of that toolbox, and so from that we had discussions with the then Minister of Agriculture, Carol Mitchell, um, about the issue of um, of the dramatic uh, effect this would have on uh, on our farmer members, and uh, the minister put into place a uh, short term exemption to get us over the uh, to get us over the fiscal year year end, and then I think it was May or June. Um, May or June of the following year, I changed the regulations for that. While this process was going on, I had a significant phone, phone calls from farmers, you know, concerned about this issue. And I remember one farmer in particular phoning in and saying, so what's your guess on whether you'll be successful, the organization will be successful in holding on to this uh, deferred payment uh, tool? and i by that time i was i was pretty confident that uh that things would go the way that we were suggesting they go so i i think i said to him i said you know likely a 90 95% chance that this is going to remain in place for you and he said well thank you very much he says tonight i'm going to sleep for the first time i likely have slept in two or three nights He says, you're worried about business risk management tools and what have you. This issue, if it hadn't been, uh, if it had gone forward and um, that opportunity for deferral hadn't taken place, I said it would have cost me tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, but tens of thousands of dollars for sure. So that's why it sticks in mind as one of the first big wins that we had for the organization.
0: And you mentioned that you kind of drew from your own experience as being a farmer and realizing how important that was. Did you find through the years that the fact that you are a farmer, that you have that farm background, was really a benefit to you?
2: Absolutely. Like, you know, no matter how well you understand the industry, if you're feeling whatever it is that's going on with our farmer members, if you're feeling that personal, I think it brings you to a different. Um, understanding of the issue and uh, you know whether it was regulations that were being forced upon us that again if I imagine that happening in our own farm I could understand the implications it would have uh, the results that it would have we're getting into a time now with uh, lower commodity prices challenging weather We're that same thing is happening on our own farm that I'm along with my brother and son are having to deal with so I think clearly that uh, it isn't a requirement by any means, but it sure helped me understand the issues that our farmer members are facing here in Ontario.
0: You mentioned the word regulations, so I think it's a good time now to talk about perhaps one of the biggest issues we've faced in the past 10 years, and that's that of bee health and the neonicotinoid regulations that the provincial government uh, back when the liberal days uh, brought into place. And When there were first reports of bee deaths in Ontario and the beekeepers were blaming grain farmers for those deaths, did you imagine that it would turn into such a big issue and and result in these regulations that were put in place?
2: Not at all. I think uh, the first sign of this was a spring that we had, uh, and I remember the March Classic. It was in and around the date it is, you know, the 20th. And I think the day before that, we were sitting on an outside lounge or an outside patio in London it was twenty six degrees out and um Mother Nature was, you know, uh pulling off a, an interesting stunt. And then we had, you know, some significant B deaths. And I just thought it was it was going to uh, it, it was a one year uh issue. And so to your question, no, I never imagined that uh, that it would be the issue that it uh, rolled out to be. Um you know, and at first that's, you know, it's really a, uh, this story is is, is really uh, a sad story from the perspective that we took these bee deaths serious right from the start. You know, even though for me it was maybe a uh, thought that it was gonna be a shorter uh, term issue, but we approached uh, the Ontario Bee Association right off the hop and started talking about what joint um what joint work research we could be doing to address uh address bee deaths and how and if uh if in fact there was issues with um, with insecticide from a farmer's perspective, how we deal with that so we actually uh if you go back and and uh, google google this you 'll find that we actually put a press release out a joint press release out.
0: I was actually involved in writing that. Well, that, that must be one of your first. The, uh... the the wording that we were so careful to agree yeah. on that went into that initial statement that we were all going to work together on the issue. And
2: I think that was that would have been about June. I don't remember exactly 2012 or 13. 2012, because when... it was
0: the year I started with okay, my very yeah. first issue. Yeah.
2: and then uh, again, as we're all aware, the activists uh, seen this as an opportunity to raise funds and and that's what again is so sad about this is that the money that the activist raised they said this was one of the biggest fundraising activities they had since uh, the seal hunt and that uh, that the issue of the fundraising and all the money that they collected they did not the activists did not put a penny into bee health uh, it was all for the operations of their own uh, uh, their own organization, and uh, uh, but they they got the ear of uh, of the Ontario Bee Association. They got the ear of that, and uh, you could sort of tell the day that they took over. The press releases were a different uh, tone to them, and uh, and
0: then Europe went and banned you know, and yeah, right on through their that end. time for and a two-year gave...
2: time, and that and and we had representation within the provincial government um, that just the stars aligned the wrong way for uh for what the end result was and that was uh, basically a ban to uh on the use of uh, uh c treatment uh, the neonic seed treatment
0: so barry actually with the neonicotinoid issue we ended up taking the ontario provincial government to court why did we make that decision to take that step
2: well, I think it was uh um you know we knew right off the chances likely were slim that we uh we would overturn the uh the regulation and the legislation, but I think it was a uh it was also you know a way of showing the government that we were serious about the issues that we're dealing with, and that this was as much i think a uh uh, signal to government that she, you know you got away with this one, but understand there's going to be a fight if you c- uh, continue along this road, as far as putting uh, regulations in place that are not required. Uh, if again farmers GFO hadn't taken this serious this issue seriously, you know then then you use the big stick, but you know right from the from the get go. GFO wanted to work with the uh, with the Bee Association on this issue. And I think that's why, that's what makes it uh, so bad. We, we had come up with a pollinator plan. You know, I think it was a 50-page pollinator plan with some proposals. But to the politicians in place at that time, they'd made up their minds. Uh, they were gonna save the earth from an Ontario perspective and there was no changing their mind. And there was other issues yet rumored uh, that they were thinking about. So the court challenge, um, again, as we you know, we knew it was a slim chance, it was an also an indication to government that we meant business, that we weren't going to take these decisions uh, laying down.
0: Even after all of the ag media attention and outside media attention went away, Grain Farmers of Ontario still worked on this issue, and now with a new government and their, um, I guess, They like to say they want to reduce red tape and and burdens um, that come with sort of paperwork and such. We haven't dropped the neonic issue, despite what some people might think, that even though it's not in the news, it's still something that you're working on. So are you, I guess now that you're um, stepping down as CEO, have you left this issue in a place that you're happy with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, farmers are responsible in the use of herbicides, pesticides, what have you. Uh, We have in place in Ontario, uh, you know, the requirements to uh, have license to use these, to uh, applicators license. And so uh, uh, to that question, Rachel, I'm I'm very happy that uh, Ontario farmers still have the opportunity to use a competitive product because, you know, now even more so than it was five or six years ago when this regulation was put into place, you know our commodity prices are down. We've got challenges with weather. Farmers are having a, a challenge getting some uh, getting uh, some black ink into their uh, into their uh, financial statements. So uh, you know, getting back access to a cheaper alternative for seed protection is is almost more important today than it was five or six years ago when commodity prices were a little better. And you might be, have been able to absorb the cost. It was still a hardship on farmers, but now it's even more so an issue with whether it's carbon tax, uh, just the the increases in cost of production that have occurred over the past number of years. Having access for this product is even more important today.
0: We had to take, I guess, some unusual steps to deal with some issues that have uh, come up. The Don and corn issue. There was a bit of controversy and some questioning about uh, the decision to buy grain baggers, and and use those as temporary storage for the infected corn. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the feedback you got from our farmer members about that decision, and and why we decided to go that route?
2: On the dawn issue, we're you know in Ontario a lot of corn goes to the market right off the right off the field, and why? And while we're you know increasing our storage on farm, a lot of farmers yet um, rely on the elevators to accept that corn. And what we were seeing at that point was some significant discounts because of the flood of Don-infested corn into the elevators. And what we tried to do in uh, uh, in a quick fashion is increase grain storage on the farms or in the country as much as we could. And you know, bags are uh, bags are a good way of doing that. It was new uh, to Ontario farmers. Some uh, you know, some of our farmer members wondered whether we should be in the business of of doing this. But I think you know, from my perspective, it was farmers you know trying to give farmers an opportunity to hold back some of their grain and market it a little later in the year, so that they wouldn't have to take those significant discounts. That the uh, the industry had in place at time of delivery, uh, harvest delivery. So, yeah, it was with uh, with some question by our farmer members, but and and good it was because that gives you the opportunity to explain exactly what the plan is or was for that to uh, for GFO to be purchasing those that equipment.
0: Another thing that I guess maybe was a bit controversial or that sort of raised a few questions from our farmer members was with the most recent election and the campaign ad that uh, we ran. Bit different tactic than what we normally take and and that was something else that we had to have conversations to sort of explain why we were doing that.
2: Absolutely, And, and again, good that they question it because it gives you opportunity to explain. A lot of farmers think that GFO is only communicating to the farmer members. And clearly, that wasn't the issue. It was to the politician, to the candidates in that election. It was to the staffers in that election uh, that that message was uh, was geared to. Why we went to it in a different manner is is that you can understand those those candidates, those staffers, the issues that they face in a day. You know, they you know they go from meeting to meeting they're receiving emails, they're what have you. You need something that stands out apart from the, the rest of what's in a pile. And we tried the uh, the cartoon type of uh, an approach to that for them to that catch their eye. It was something different than we had ever used before. Uh, you know, we used some professional help in advising us on this. This wasn't just somebody, some GFO staff's idea of how Uh, of what we should be doing we had uh, you know professional outside help assisting us on that and you know by you know the hits that we had from that I think you can gauge as a success has it resulted in anything that you know substantial as far as a payment back to farmers no but we're continuing on that and it doesn't mean that you stop because uh, we haven't been successful so again that that communication was directed to to a different audience other than our farmer members.
0: When we talk about communicating to the general public, one of the other big changes over the past 10 years is the transition from Farmers Feed Cities, which was part of the soybean growers organization um, that we took on, to Good and Every Grain, which is a more grain-focused campaign. One of the issues was people didn't realize Farmers Feed Cities was spearheaded by us. And so that change was difficult for some people to accept as well again talking about people not liking change yeah. um but from your perspective why was it important that we focus on a grain campaign
2: well again it's you know even the farmers feed cities campaign uh changed over time with when the legacy organizations brought this to uh to existence it was uh, when that when that tagline was first uh, brought to being. It was more of a uh, uh, the tagline used for government supporting agriculture in general. And then as times changed and their um, their farms became more profitable, we were using it at the time that consumers were starting to be, be made more aware about uh, food and food production. So it sort of morphed into that uh, by default. And I think it... Um, It was at the same time that we were putting a lot more emphasis to that consumer awareness. When I said uh, earlier about um, the the, uh, farmer member communications, in 2010 we likely had 80 percent, 90 percent of the communications budget directed toward farmer member communications. Now it's likely 50-50. So with that in that time of the, the emphasis being increased towards consumer awareness, it was decided to change that tagline up from uh from farmers feed cities to good and every grains. Uh and um just because the healthiness, the those types of issues we didn't feel were addressed in um in the Farmers Feed Cities tagline and were more um, more described in this new tagline, whether it was going into food, fiber, or fuels. Uh, good in every grain was uh, a way of describing that
0: it also speaks to the change in the strategic plan that was made a couple of years ago that we made one of our strategic goals establishing and fostering a social license to farm did you think 10 years ago that that would be something that you need to do
2: no no again things have changed significantly in the last uh in uh in that last period of time again for all for different reasons you know some of it we believe on uh, you know people that don't believe in genetically modified uh uh products uh you know the organic industry what have you um you know having a uh, conflicting message to what the you know the traditional uh, grain producer is uh, is growing on their farms but i think There's also the retailers, I think, that are confusing uh, consumers about the food that we're producing uh, just in an effort to gain market share, to have something different on the market than their competitors do. So I think the consumer is getting very confused, or some consumers are getting very confused about uh, uh, the food that they purchase and, and eat, and um, again, who better than a farm organization uh, to counter and to give the real facts about what are going on? I think, um, you know, just with with consumer, with a, a family driving down uh, some concession and looking into a farmer's yard and seeing a big articulating tractor sitting there or, you know, uh, some big equipment, they get this perception that, you know, this is a corporate farm that's being controlled out of Toronto or New York, and, you know, we're just a bunch of greedy people that produce food just in the uh, for the means of, uh, of a return, and a return is important, but uh, farmers are in it for a lot more reasons than just the return, is that, you know, getting the message out there that, you know, over 95% of farms are yet, you know, uh, controlled by a family farm, uh, they might be incorporated because of tax reasons, but the issue is, is that um, you know we you know we eat what we grow. We don't have a little garden in the uh, back corner where we're you know feeding our family that the you know the produce from that uh, result and not uh, not participating or partaking in the food that we're delivering into the uh, into the system. So. It's up to, it's up to uh, people that have credibility, and that's the farmers, to be going out and sharing that message that uh, we're serious about this business, we're serious in sustainability, we're serious about the soil, we're serious about what we, what we put onto the market, and uh, their farm organization has to, uh, has to play a big part in doing that.
0: When we talk about sharing the story of Ontario Grain Farms, that's not just to consumers here in Ontario. We also take that message globally. And as CEO, you've had the chance to participate in numerous trade missions around the world. Why are those trade missions so important?
2: Well, they're important to your, it's, it's like any customer of, of any commodity, any product is, you, you, you need to be working with that customer no matter what you're selling. And because your competitors are. And so we need to be going out and, um, you know, talking about the safe, uh, sustainable food that that uh, we're selling to them, because there is mixed messages. The competitors could be telling a story that might not be straight up uh, about us, and it's up to us to get out there and tell our story, and to counter maybe some of the other messaging that uh, they're getting. Our competition and it's getting it's getting stronger or more intense is out there with, with their story, and, and especially in the last few months with a lot of trade agreements coming into question, uh, it's gonna be more important for us to be going out throughout the world talking about you know uh, the product that they we're growing and putting onto the international market. And uh, because if we don't get that story out there, worse than not having anybody tell the story, there might be somebody telling a conflicting story.
0: We've talked about a lot of issues and problems that you've addressed over the past 10 years what are you going to miss when you step down as ceo
2: the people you know i think uh that uh the staff around me uh, the board the delegates the farmer members that uh that i've got to to know over the last uh 10 or 11 years it's um you know the issues they're going to be issues some of these issues i started back in this almost 40 years ago business risk management i would never think that you know something that I cut my teeth on, as far as grip and Nisa back in 1988, was still going to be an issue in t- uh, you know 2020. Uh, so the issues are going to continue, and you're going to be uh, you know GFO will be working on uh, on our farmer members' behalf on those issues. But it it will be it will be the people that uh, that I miss uh, the most. Any regrets? No, I you know. Um, you know you always think of how you could have done things differently and and uh and not that i haven't made mistakes in some of those approaches but uh you know given the situation at the time you know i i none come to mind in a big way it uh not not in um not in a uh, large part by any means uh, means of the imagination i think uh you know you keep in mind who you're doing the work for and that's our farmer members and the rest is uh the rest is uh is pretty clear you know through the you know I I've, I've been in farm politics for a long time and uh you know you'd when you did something wrong you got a lot of phone calls from farmer members reminding you of that or sharing their opinion of that and I got a lot of tough calls in my early years and uh, early career but you know when we went through the neonic issue I had phone calls from farmers saying, you're doing a good job, continue the, the, continue the work. I had calls from a few people that said, if you need to increase our licensing fee to take on this government, do that. You don't often get those calls in farm politics. So you know, you know, you're on the side of the angels when you're doing that. And, uh, and that, was, that was humbling and gratifying that you knew you were, when you had those calls, you knew you were doing the right thing.
0: You've been careful not to call this move retirement. So what is next for you? You're moving back to Saskatchewan?
2: Yeah, well, what's immediate is uh, is getting the crop off on our farm out in, in Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, 2019 is a harvest that-
0: Keeps on going. Well,
2: yeah, it, the whole growing season was crappy, but harvest especially right from Atlantic Canada, Quebec, Ontario, Prairie Provinces, was just one you want to forget. So our farm we've got I think eighteen hundred acres out that we have to get off before we uh we start planting again. So I know what I'm doing April second. It's either gonna be on a combine or it's gonna be on a planter. But uh after that I'd like to uh uh t- you know, after some time's taken and uh and uh get that job done is uh stay involved in the industry somewhat, uh maybe not full time, but uh stay in this industry somewhat, because uh, I still think I've got something to contribute to to the process. But again, time will tell, so uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Before we end this conversation, there are two important things I wanna ask you about. Anybody who's been to the office knows you have an amazing collection of John Deere, we can't call them toys, collectibles. What's gonna happen to all of your collectibles?
2: It's funny you ask that question because yesterday the carpenter was in and I've got, we have an attached uh, garage that's all, uh, it's heated. It's its more, uh, the cars are parked in there, but it's a man cave. And the carpenter was in there and uh, and put in my shelving for the, uh, so it's funny that you ask that because it went in at 4 o'clock last night. Uh, my wife sent me a picture of it. So that's where those things are uh, are going as soon as they get home.
0: And perhaps the most important question that we need to ask is, since you've been in Ontario, you've become a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. When you move back to Saskatchewan, are you going to change your loyalties to the Rough Riders?
2: Hamilton will always have a soft spot in my, uh, in my heart. I, uh, uh, great people involved in that. And uh, I've walked into, uh, last past summer, I walked into a Saskatchewan Rough Rider game with my Thai Cat cap on and uh, didn't get thrown out or uh, didn't get into any fights Uh, but I'll say that the Thai cats will always have a soft spot in my heart.
0: Well thank you for taking the time to talk with us today Barry.
2: Thank you Rachel.
0: Joining us by phone this week on the podcast is Marcus Hurl, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks Marcus for joining us all the way from Vancouver this week.
3: Yeah good afternoon.
0: The first thing we want to talk about is the um, carbon tax issue for grain farmers and there's a private member's bill currently um, up for discussion in which they're calling for um, an exemption for the um, on-farm fuels used in particular for grain drying. What um, are your thoughts on that private member's bill?
3: Yeah, so that uh, private member's bill certainly puts a little bit more pressure on government to, uh, first of all, debate the uh, the situation on carbon tax uh, that farmers are faced with. Uh, because um, there has been a long road since we've brought this up with government uh, already a year, year and a half ago, of uh, why carbon tax was even put on drying fuels for uh, grain and oilseed industry and uh, at that time they acknowledged that it was an oversight but we never got really any action from government to address it. So um, uh, with the private members bill it puts at least a conversation in the house. It uh, It's actually a long road ahead of us of actually getting anything done because this is a bill that's going to Asked to get even liberal MPs and uh, other opposition parties engaged in supporting this private member bill, and um, we're hoping that uh, this is actually going to move forward quicker than than other private member member bills because uh, it is a national issue, not just Eastern Canada Canadian issue. So. Uh, the, um, the Senators and MPs are getting engaged in the conversation.
0: And what can other farmer members do if they want to help to raise awareness about the importance of this issue?
3: So first of all, I think what's very important here, be in dialogue with your elected MP. Doesn't matter what color they wear or what uh, party they represent. It is important they all have to be engaged in the conversation. Uh, because whenever they have to vote on that by a private member's bill, they need to understand what the real impact is to you as an individual farmer and show them your bills that you received last fall for the extra drying costs uh, and the carbon tax is actually a line item. So uh, put that forward and uh, be vocal about it.
0: Marcus, I know that um, you were in... Uh, the U.S. last week for the Commodity Classic. And as part of that uh, trip there, you had some meetings with our counterparts, with the wheat, corn, and soybean boards there. What uh, was part of those conversations, and why was it important to have those
3: meetings? So the importance behind those specific meetings are actually to share, first of all, our challenges, our outlooks, For the next coming growing season and uh, issues that we're working on. Uh, Often enough, we look at uh, some of our counterparts in the U.S. Yes, there may be our competitors in the uh, marketplace, but we do share a lot of commonalities, uh, especially around uh, uh, trade, uh, around um, biotech approvals. Uh, and even market access uh, because some of the markets that we're working with today are distorted around the world and not just caused by one specific uh, issue or situation and uh, it's important that we all understand each other and uh, I have to say the last couple of years I always walked away from those meetings as being very productive and the relationship-building Uh, that we do through those conversations actually go a long way so it's not just that we sit down with the individuals and uh, put everything on the table but it's for long-term relationship building where we do have to align on certain things
0: did you get a sense from them marcus that there they really are sort of i guess understanding of our position with the the trade war with china and some of the other uh, market influences did you discuss any similarities in that vein
3: with the uh, the marketplace uh, situation that we have at the moment, it is uh, that let's just let's just say the general farmer in the U.S. feels the hurt no matter how much money they get from government uh, because everything is kind of relative. But then when we talk about um, how much this is impacting the Canadian farmer where our government is not stepping up, it puts a different realistic figure towards them of uh, saying, okay, well, we're also struggling, okay, so how can we find solutions and moving forward on that? uh, But it's not always very easy because it depends on the political environment that somebody is in. And uh, the U.S. are going into an uh, an election year for the president, uh, which uh, might say that they're probably going to get another payment uh, for their uh, trade hurts. And after that, they cannot expect any more money because then the administration is back in place and that Trump will not be able to run for another term after that. Well, it's going to put a totally different conversation into uh, how farmers are going to be supported from the political level. Now, here in Canada, while we understand that uh, we're living in that minority government that puts the conversation around uh, 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 trade compensation in a very difficult place. Uh, We are engaged with them, uh, with the government, but uh, there has to be more and more acknowledgement by government of stepping up and showing it to the, uh, the world, that uh, Canada is here to support agriculture for the long term.
0: Now, as we mentioned, you're in Vancouver, and that's for the Grain Symposium. So I imagine that some of these same, similar conversations are going to be happening out west when we look at the Canadian landscape of agriculture. What are you hoping to come out of the symposium this week?
3: Well, first of all, what I'm looking forward to, uh, engaging and uh, meeting some of our uh, farmer group leaders uh, that are here, to discuss in a higher level of the uh, issues that we're faced with and uh, maybe walk, uh, go back home with a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I, uh, I always say uh, if, we, if we can talk to each other, we can find solutions. Um, and I think it is important that we stay engaged, uh, that we have strong representation in those national meetings that uh, are important to, uh, to attend. Uh, There are different things that are also very important that we're faced with, again, trade uh, uh, trade disruptions, yes, but then there's also rail disruptions again, uh, which is probably on most representatives' mind here at this point, uh, because uh, most uh, Western Canadian uh, commodities do not uh, get to the port quick enough to get to market. So I'm expecting that this is going to be one of the uh, the hot topics here. And uh, but again, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to meet a lot of the people that we work with uh, through the year.
0: Now, another conference you're going to be attending, obviously, this month is our own March Classic. And at that event, we're celebrating 10 years as an organization. And at the leadership of Grain Farmers of Ontario has been Barry Senf, who's announced that he will be stepping down as CEO as of April 1st. And this is going to be sort of our last chance to talk on the podcast with you, Marcus, before uh, that officially takes place. So from your perspective, what has been Barry's contribution to Grain Farmers of Ontario over the past 10 years?
3: I can put it in a couple of words, very simple. Uh, Barry has been the face of Green Ontario from uh, the beginning on. He uh, has brought the uh, organization to a level of, uh, we're not just known uh, provincially, we're known nationally, we're known internationally. Barry is able to manage and direct um, an organization to the best possible way to get the most out of, the investment that farmers put in, in a sense of either checkoff dollars or uh, being able to engage in the organization, because uh, we are a farmer-led organization. Barry took this as always being the the benchmark of GFO that it remains um, a strong grassroots organization and that the farmer is being heard. And uh, until now, Barry has. Delivered so much that uh, he deserves a celebration at the March Classic uh, since he's stepping down. But uh, I'm I'm convinced that he's not going to disappear from the agriculture environment, and uh, I hope uh, that he's going to take a, f- uh, a bit more time out on his farm at, as well in Saskatchewan and uh, enjoying uh, some time away uh, from the busy life that he has. Uh, because uh, very committed, more than uh, a lot of people commit to an organization, and uh, I'm very proud of saying that he he helped all farmers in Ontario in uh, more than what uh, what is expected from a CEO.
0: Well, thank you for sharing those thoughts with us today, Marcus, and we appreciate the update on what's been happening with Green farmers of Ontario.
3: You're more than welcome.
2: Thank
0: you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Barry Sef and Marcus Hurl.
1: If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.